0: You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Hebrews 10, verse 4. If you want to skip a few of the beginning verses that we looked at last week, verse 4 let me just read a short section here, and we're going to be reflecting on a variety of passages from Hebrews ten today. Beginning in Hebrews ten, verse four, it says, For it is impossible. I love that word, for it's impossible. It mentions that throughout Hebrews many times. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And verse five is kind of our key phrase for today. Consequently, when Christ came into the world. He said these things as a quote from Psalm 40. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure in those things. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I, Jesus, have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. You skip down with me to verse 10, and I'll look at verse 10. Kind of as a, as a backdrop for what we're talking through here today on Palm Sunday. Verse 10 says, and by that will, that will that he spoke of earlier, having come to do your will, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11 says, and every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I'll just keep on here. Verse 15 says, and Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after this saying... This is a quote from Jeremiah 31. In the Old Testament, verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins no more, their lawless deeds no more. Verse 18, where there is a forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sins. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So today marks the beginning of Holy Week, this Palm Sunday, a remembrance that we come today celebrating that Christ has entered the world and Christ has entered Jerusalem and he has come to save the world. I think Josh even touched on it earlier and and it's the idea of, of Christ coming into the world. What has he come to do? What is... What is it that Christ has accomplished on the cross? That's much of what we've been looking at throughout these last several months in the book of Hebrews. If you're new or joining us just for this morning, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews um, and this week we're on chapter 10. Next, on Friday, we'll be finishing chapter 10. On Sunday, we're gonna be looking at chapters 11 and 12 on Easter. But when Christ came into the world, we looked at that in verse 5. It said, consequently, when Christ came into the world, we celebrate the coming of Christ into the world at Christmas. The Advent season prepares us for Christ's coming. Here, Palm Sunday is almost a mini-Advent. It's a mini-time waiting for the arrival of Jesus to the cross. But here, as we've been waiting for the arrival, the official finality of what Christ has come to do, We see him coming into the world, and he says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God the Father. And in John 17, or I believe it's Luke 22, I think he says, Father, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me, if you are willing, yet not my will, but yours be done. Why did Jesus come into the world, the world? Why did he come to save the world? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In that passage, it even says that, that, that the world might be saved through him. Verse 19 of the passage John, uh, Josh read earlier, for this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. The light has come into the world. John chapter one, verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John 12, Verse 46, for I have come into the world as light, Jesus says, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. John twelve forty six through 47. John 18, Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. And Galatians 4.4 4 says, and then the fullness of time had come. When the time was ripe, when God's plan had begun to unfold and the time was ripe, when the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is why Jesus came into the world. Did you pick up on that phrase that I so laboriously slowed down through every single time I read it? He came into the world. Christ came to save the world. And we're thankful for that. And so at this moment, we celebrate on Palm Sunday, Christ coming into the world, but even more as the focal point comes down and zooms in, he is now coming into Jerusalem to complete the task which he was sent for. Uh, This story of Palm Sunday, It's a true story and it's given to us in every single one of the Gospels. They all give the account from a different viewpoint and angle, but they have so many similarities in Matthew 21, Luke 19, Mark 11, and John 12. We have a depiction of the triumphal entry, Jesus entering Jerusalem, marking this almost this official entrance of a king coming into a city, having conquered or having won a giant great battle. He comes in to throngs of people praising his name. And all of the gospel accounts uh, unite in these details there where a donkey is mentioned. As was read earlier, Jeff read Zechariah 9.9 9, and it's even quoted here in Matthew 21, I believe. Where it's talking about humble, gentle, humble is, is he. He's mounted on a donkey. He comes riding in. Jesus modeli- modeling for us this service and sacrifice which would encompass his purpose of coming. That he did not come uh, to dominate this sort of platform or, or he did not raise a, an army of rebellion. He in a very different manner, in a very different way, models service and sacrifices, uh, a sacrifice humility and gentleness over this dominance and pride and adulation. And so this donkey is riding on. he does not come in on a war horse leading an army to take over the Roman Empire but he comes humbly offering himself as a sacrifice and later on he will carry a cross like Isaiah says, almost mute, almost in a manner he humbles himself in this way and he carries his cross like a lamb headed to the slaughter. And yet on this day, on Palm Sunday, we hear the crowds cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which uh, again, people keep stealing my thunder. It's like I have to preach at the end and the sermon's already done. We should just close up amen, right? Some of you are like, yep. No, all right. So Val had already said, Hosanna, I was going to tell you, but she already told you, Hosanna means save us, right? Some of you already knew that. You're like, yeah, been here a long time. I know that. Hosanna. Hosanna means save us save us you could say rescue us rescue us it's quoted from psalm 118 the passage jeff read earlier psalm 118 when it says uh, save us psalm 118 verse 25 i think it is save us rescue us help us please we pray we pray save us this is that idea so they're yelling out hosanna 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 they're waving palm branches we have palm branches here for you this morning. These palm branches, they're waving. this palm branches, this idea that just is a very public uh, view, almost as if how we uh, in a group, and as we, uh, we will often in a crowd, we will clap our hands, we will clap our hands in unison. Uh, a way in which this was expressed physically and, and publicly in that time and in that culture was to take palm branches and to wave them, symbolizing this return of a victorious king from a battlefield like we mentioned earlier. The victory uh, would be won. The palm branches would be laid on the road. They'd be waved in the air. It harkens back even to the very understanding of the gospel message. The gospel is good news, right? Good news that is likened in Isaiah and other places of, a, of someone who is coming running back from the battlefield. And they have received the news that the battle has been won. And they come running back into the city that is waiting in eager anticipation to know what the outcome of the battle has been. And that messenger, whose beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, the Bible says, that good feet are the running back to the city. And they enter and burst into the city gates. And they tell the people, the battle has been won. We've won. We are victory. We are conquerors. It's over, this sense. This, this relief and the satisfaction is that this person is bringing good news that the king is here. The king is returning. The king is coming, bringing victory. And that, this, that idea, this palm branches, the, the hosanna, the donkey that is coming in this way, they also took their coats and laid them on the road. Make straight the pathway for the king to come. Behold your king. All of these statements are mentioned. And yet the one thing I want us to focus on this morning is this, the, the, the anticipation and the jubilation, the excitement, the, the crowds, the clapping, the, the palm branches, the celebration. Even what we were remarking on earlier, the feeling that we sensed even when we walked in today. We have our worship team that meets here before prayer, before we come up, and we had just all mentioned just the, the sense of the people that you can feel in the air. A heightened anticipation of what is to come. The excitement that today is Palm Sunday. Good Friday is coming, and yet we know Easter morning is coming You ever been in a crowd like that? You can feel it in this moment. The thing that I always go back to and reminds me is those moments when you get to attend a a game or a a sporting event, or maybe it's a concert for you. But for me, it's often a sporting event where I get to go. Maybe I, I remember recently in the last couple of years getting to go to a Red Sox game or getting to go to a Celtics game. And you're so close to some of these players and you can come up and you can just see them running around on the court and you just marvel at them. And for me, I'm a big sports fan, I just marvel at wow, right? And yet in those moments, especially as the game comes to a close and coming to an end, you can feel the crowd and the anticipation coming. The end of the game is coming and it's tight, it's close right? There's just a few points left, and they shoot the three at the end, and everybody's breath at the end. Everybody takes a breath in, and you can just feel the entire crowd, thousands of people just breathing in, and then the shot drains, right, from the three, and the team wins, and everybody lets it out, and there's just praise and excitement and clapping and high-fiving and chest bumping, right, and all this excitement, right? And you're like, I don't watch that. Well, that's just me at home on the TV, right, you know? That's not even me live in the game. You've never experienced that with me. It gets the little nuts right but that's excitement and you could just feel it there's a crowd of people the energy in the stadium you could say and Jesus almost in a in a different energy walking or riding in gently knowing what is to come knowing the experience Uh, uh, all that he's experiencing in that moment, yet knowing, and it it even says, I think in Luke, where he stops at the end and he weeps for Jerusalem because he foresees the destruction that's coming. But in John 12, it reminds us and gives us this sense of of the feeling of energy that's going on because the Pharisees felt it too. In fact, uh, in John 12, verse 19, it said, the Pharisees said to one another, After Palm Sunday, after they've just seen Jesus ride in a donkey, they say, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. You can feel that. Even they sensed the world has gone after this man. We've got to put an end to that. Luke 19 gives us a similar manner. It says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, like tell them to be quiet. Tell them to stop saying, Hosanna. Would you calm the people down? Don't you know what this is going to do? Calm them down. What did Jesus say? He said, I tell you, if these people were silent, the very stones and rocks would cry out. (laughs) And then later on, he teaches them in the temple. And you know what it said? It said the people were hanging on his very words. Every word that came out, they were hanging on the next word that he was going to say. Matthew 21 it mentions too that when he entered Jerusalem i read this earlier we, we read it here it was like the whole city was stirred up. right? It's, and I love that phrase because later on in Hebrews 10 it tells us to stir up one another to love and good works the whole city was stirred up saying who is this guy? Right, I added the word guy but it is who is this right? Who is this? And that is a question we all ask ourselves today. What is the cause of celebration? Why are we so excited? A king was here. A king is coming, it said. A king is here to liberate them and yet, maybe not in the way they anticipated or expected, of course not, but I think it's still just, it's still right for us to celebrate in this manner today especially. It's right for us to praise, it's right for us to sing Hosanna, it's right for us to have a smile on our face because I think even today we have more of a reason to celebrate than those people did in those days. As we know all that had happened and all that has come and so we celebrate because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the king is here. And Hebrews tells us this, really the entire book of Hebrews has been telling us and explaining to us and unpacking the nuts and bolts of the atonement and salvation Hebrews tells us Jesus has offered up once and for all, as we read, a single sacrifice, a rescue from our sin and death. He's our mediator, a high priest. We have access to God by the blood of Jesus and the bridge that he has made. And the new covenant is part of this new change and this new life that exists within us. We read it earlier, but in Hebrews 10, verse 16, it is quoting from the Old Testament in Jeremiah, this great prophecy that has been foretold that is coming, that, that in, in, in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them. And in Jeremiah 31, he said, behold, the days are coming when I will make this, this covenant with them. That I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. It's extraordinary ways, Hebrews 10 later on says, it's a new and living way that you and I get to experience each and every day. When we put our, our faith and trust in Jesus, we experience a new and living way with God. But Jesus is saying there's no longer this need for the law to be written on an external law of stone tablets. For now I have taken that law and I write it on tablets of flesh. It is not always just this outward adherence. But now a whole new and living way is given to us from the inside out. I will write my code into your inner being, he's saying. I'm gonna release you from the punishment and the enslavement to sin and I'm gonna make you a slave of righteousness and a new and living way of pursuing me and relating to God is now able and the door has been opened for you. The the curtain is torn. You are now able to go before that throne. The old covenant has passed away. Behold, a new one has come. Just like our old body, our old man has passed away, the new has come. And then, in a sense, he's saying, I am literally reprogramming your heart from the inside out. That's a computer kind of way of thinking about it. Almost like the very code that's written within us that allows us to operate in one way, shape, or form. The code is being rewritten with new code with a new way to operate, a new upgraded operating system if I can keep going with this this analogy, right? So, so now you will begin to simply desire, you'll have a new desire, new affections, new ways of relating. You will now desire to obey his commandments and to love what he loves and to hate what he hates because his very spirit is writing his law within us. You will walk by the Spirit, for the Spirit of Christ will be sanctifying your inner spirit for godliness and Christlikeness, and to shed off the the works of the flesh and the sin. And and I I found this quote from Andrew Murray that helped me think this verse through. Because if you're encapsulating and thinking through all of the implications of what it means for God and how we should celebrate this thing of how God is rewriting us from the inside, he, he puts his laws on our hearts and writes them on our minds. This quote says this, why, why does an acorn so spontaneously grow up into an oak tree? Because the law of the oak is written in the heart of that acorn. The life of every creature acts with delight in accordance to the law of its creator. That is its inner nature. God and his holiness, Christ and his Holy Spirit, if they belong to us, They must be as near to us, as essentially within us, as truly inherent in our own life, as our own thinking, as our own willing and feeling. And so God promises that he will put his law on our minds and write it in our hearts in such a way that it will become our inner nature, our very life, and we shall act according to it as naturally as we think or live. Yes, he will do it, yet not Christ. but yet not I but Christ who lives in me we sang earlier he will do it so that we can say even as his son did thy law is within my heart I delight to do thy will O God almost as if an acorn and we think of springtime right now looking out and you're starting to see the buds of the trees the things are growing again and some of you maybe are starting gardens and wanting to plant and as you plant and begin to plant seeds into the ground we expect them to grow to germinate to come and to bear fruit we know that that seed, you put a, an oak, uh, an acorn into the ground and it will burst forth into an actual tree. We expect that to happen. That's the very nature, the very law of the Creator who has made that seed to form and work in that way. Yet where does all that programming originate from? Where does that come? It comes from God. And it is coming in the same way for a Christian, that we have been born again to a living hope. We have this new way of thinking, a new affections. I think it's Edwards who says, we have new religious affections. These new affections within us that desire things we did not desire before. A seed that is planted that begins to grow. I've been in recent conversation with just someone recently, just this week, who was saying this feeling of what it is like to before Christ and then what happened after Christ when that seed was planted in his heart. When the new affections took place, that all of a sudden he comes to church desiring things that he didn't desire before. Many of you know what that's like. Many of you, that was many years ago, but a feeling of what that maybe is still resides with you, of, of a feeling of a new desire to read this book that you didn't have before. A feeling of, of right and wrong, of moral justice within us that is written upon our hearts. Where we don't go to a stone tablet and reflect our actions, but rather that stone tablet is now written within us. The spirit of Christ lives within us. It redoes all the, the hardwiring A new covenant within us to allow us to grow. Suddenly church before was a little boring. You struggled staying awake, there's preachers that go on a long time, right? And now all of a sudden you keep you're hanging on every word. You can't wait to hear the next passage and read the next scripture and you're hungry for things you weren't hungry before. You hunger and thirst after righteousness in ways that you never did before. There is a newness to your life. There is a new creation forming within you. There is a seed of the gospel that's been planted in the soil of your heart that is growing, that the power of the Holy Spirit lives within you and now strengthens that seed to grow into maturity throughout your entire lifetime until Jesus returns. That's the process of sanctification the power of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be a Christian day in and day out to trust and yield to the power of the Spirit more than the power of the flesh for that power has been broken and you are set free to now pursue and rejoice and celebrate for the goodness of God and so that is this picture of now stirring each other up that's why you come on Sunday not to get that thing again that's been done within you that's been planted but you come on Sunday because the Bible tells us to stir one another up in Hebrews 10 Let us hold fast to our confession of hope, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit is some, but encouraging one another. So we come together and we encourage each other in these things. And then what I wanna do here, guys, we kinda close in these last 10, 15 minutes. And I want us to look just briefly at a few verses that highlight the, the power of celebrating the gospel in our lives, that highlight the power of celebrating what we have experienced and what we have and then to really praise God and say Hosanna because of it. And so some of the verses we looked at earlier, one was in Psalm 118 verse 24. You can look at these with me if you'd like. But in Psalm 118, verse 24 and 25, Jeff read this earlier. This is kind of one of the quintessential Palm Sunday passages because verse 25 in a moment is the passage they were quoting when Jesus entered Jerusalem and he said Hosanna, Hosanna but in verse 24 it's a verse that some of you probably didn't even know was here but you quoted if I asked you if I started it, this is the day many of you could say it this is the day the Lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it Right? many of you say that it's so. it even comes out even in our prayers it comes out among us and it, I just love this voice uh, that is given to us from this passage the voice of, of saying this is the day that the Lord has made, this is a reason for praising God. It's a reason for lifting up praise to him. Sometimes we have part of our daily rhythms of a Christian life which is to pray, but I think it is so vital and so important to have in that same daily rhythm a, 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 a place for praise. To praise him for the simplicity of the fact that you woke up this morning. To give him honor and glory because this is the day that he has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Praising him for these things. In Psalm 145, it also says, I exalt you, O my God, O my King, bless your name. We bless God. I will praise your name forever. Spurgeon says this, should we omit praise any more than we admit prayer? And should not praise come daily as many times in a day as prayer might do? To fail in praise is unjustifiable as it would be to fail in prayer. We talk to God, we pray to him and yet we also praise him just like we've done this morning. We sing out, we fill our lungs with prayer and, some of, uh, with, prayer and with praise. It's almost like a filling of our lungs where we breathe in in prayer and we breathe out in praise. We breathe in and we breathe out. This feeling of prayer and praise that go hand in hand. So vital, so important. Praising him for the very day that he has given us. The next verse is verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That word save us is hoshiana or hosanna is what is transliterated there in the, in the New Testament of a word we say, hosanna. Save us, save us. What a beautiful cry of humble dependence and faithful invitation to save us today save us today. So many of us think maybe that we rely on other things in our lives where we save ourselves. And so many of you maybe have lived in that place where you're seeking to save yourself over and over. I'm my own savior. And then you've come to that place in your life. Where you recognize it's not about you, it's not about you saving yourself, it's about Jesus and what he's done for you. And you cry out in that word, Hosanna, save us, we pray. And he answers that cry and he answers that call. He comes into your life, he rewires, and re, um, he rewires your life and he gives you new affections for him. We cry out for salvation, he comes running, he enters the world, he comes into Jerusalem and in like manner, he may enter your heart. And that's this next verse that encourages us to pick up our heads and look to Jesus. I want you to look over at Psalm 24. We're almost done here. In Psalm 24, it just gives us a reminder of some of these passages that encourage us to look to Jesus, encourage us to praise the great creator and our savior. It says in Psalm 24. We have just cried out for help. He say, Hosanna, help us, help us, save us, save us. Verse seven, lift up your heads. This is Psalm 24, verse seven. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. This is a Palm Sunday passage of the city gates literally opening up and receiving the king to enter in, just like your heart. Open up your gates of your heart. Verse eight says, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Then it says it again, verse nine, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. I think so many times in my life I've needed that phrase, and maybe it was, I can just, picture those moments that I have with my dear children when they're crying and when especially my, my daughter Taylor when something has just gone terribly wrong right meaning she didn't get her way in one little small instant right but everything is gone she just buries her head in her hands right and then you go over try to console her and shake her and she won't take her hands off of her face right bury her head and it's almost as if lift up your head child L- look up my dad you know chin up kid right you know you ever heard that one chin up right that's this picture of lifting up our heads and look to see because your king is coming to rescue you Hosanna save us yes lift up your head look to Jesus he's coming to save you enter our hope yes we have maybe moments in our life when we have that real hurt that real feeling within our souls it's deep you know, it's more than just those moments as a child of, of a skin knee or a hardship of not getting our way. It's, it's the real emotional travail of life. And I can think back even upon the last couple of years and, and going through different loss and grief and hardship and difficulty with people. You feel these moments in your life where it, it hits you to your core, right? You know that feeling? Where it is, it's that burying of our head in our hands but even in the middle, even in the internal parts of our hearts or it just hurts, life is hard. No one's denying that. No one today is creating this false sense of like celebration and praise and just ignoring the hardship you're going through. In fact, I think it's best that we look at praise and celebration as an answer to so many of those things we're going through. That even in the middle of the storm, that even in the hard times, we can still lift up our heads and look to the one who's our savior. Even when it's really hard. Even when you've experienced deep loss. Even when you've gone through those moments in your life where you don't know where else to turn, the Bible is telling you to lift up your head. Open up the gates of your heart and allow Jesus, your king, to come in and rescue you. To rescue from whatever you're facing today, maybe it's tomorrow, what you know you have to do this week. It's a moment of lifting up and opening up and receiving the king who loves you dearly, who rides in on a gentle donkey to take the cross on your behalf, to shed his blood for you. These days are coming when he's establishing a new and living way to enter and to come before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. And then lastly, we look at this praising and the rejoicing. Like I said, the message is, is in Zechariah 9, nine, but it's from this phrase in Zechariah 9, nine that was read earlier. Rejoice greatly, it says. It's the title of today's message. I just hope you go from this place today rejoicing. Rejoice greatly, it says, and the next word is shout aloud, shout aloud. And when we close this service, we'll be singing in a moment, Hosanna, praises rising. And I want us to, in a nice way, shout, okay? Let's like, see, if I tell you that, the worship team's gonna be a little scared. But I hope we can close the service today in a praise, in a way, in a manner where we are rejoicing greatly. We are shouting aloud because our king is coming again, <laughs> He has come and entered Jerusalem, and we look back on all that he has done, but we know he is coming, and it's that sense of anticipation. It's the sense that, that he's returning, this feeling, and maybe for some of you it was just a few days ago when you were excited about going on vacation. And I know what that feeling is like even as an adult, and I can remember that feeling of what it was like as a kid of anticipating that vacation was coming, vacation is coming, you are literally counting down the very hours in school till your vacation is coming, some of you, your spring bake is coming in a few weeks, and I can still remember that feeling, I can remember even in in, in college, Jamie and I dated in high school, and then through college, and I went away to college, and she was still graduating high school, and we dated one year apart, one year apart. It was pretty tough on me. It was pretty hard. And it was. It was difficult. But I still remember that feeling of like school ending. And getting to get in a car and drive home because I was going to see Jamie. You know? That feeling of like the excitement. I haven't seen her in months. Back then you were just talking on the phone and everything. You didn't all do the f- cool FaceTime because I'm s- so old. You know, right? <laughs> but the feeling of like I can't anticipate. I'm, I'm anticipating and I cannot wait to see her. That, that feeling and the excitement to see which now is my future wife, then I was just in a dating relationship, but counting down the days, counting down the hours, where my daughter, who's having a birthday in a couple of days, who's literally been asking every day, when's my birthday, when's my birthday, when's my birthday, right? It's, it's not for a couple of weeks, honey. It's not for, you know, This feeling of anticipation, I cannot wait. The king is coming. This is the excitement. This is the anticipation. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. People of Israel, your king is entering into Jerusalem. He's coming to save you from your sins. The one who has been foretold for centuries and centuries is here. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us, we pray. We praise you, O God, for what you have done. And now, as in conclusion, we think of now, in response to this, of what Jesus has done for us, knowing that he is our king, he is coming again one day. We then come together, knowing, as Hebrews 10 says, encouraging one another, knowing that the day is drawing near. The day that he is returning once more is coming soon. So we stir up one another. That's what we're doing here today. That's why we sing together. It's we gather. We do all the work to get here to church so we do not forsake the assembling of our gathering together, but so that we can encourage one another, stir each other up, give courage to each other to keep on keeping on. If you're here today and you can keep on keeping on, I certainly can do the same. That's why you look to the right and you look to your left and you see someone else who's decided to come to here today and they've decided to keep the faith, to walk in faith, to keep going. And that encourages your heart and soul to do the same. It wells up within you from their deepest hardships, from those hard things that are going on within you, the travail within our soul. It wells up an encouraging sign when you see other people around you saying, it's all right, keep on going. I'm here with you. You're not alone. We can do this together. You face those giants that are coming for you. You stand on the edge of the wilderness and you see the hardship there, but you see the people of God who by faith will walk into that land. Those giants will fall, and we're walking a new and living way than has ever been done before. A new and living way brought to us by the new covenant through Jesus Christ. He lives within us, and the Spirit of God unites us to keep on keeping on. For we are not a people, as Hebrews 10 says, We are not a people who shrink back and are destroyed but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Today we don't shrink back. We step forward, we praise God, we celebrate Palm Sunday, Good Friday and Easter because our king is alive and he's coming again. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise you today and we marvel at these truths today. We feast on them. We need them, God. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. Our hearts at times feel dry. Give us of this living water. Give us of this bread of life. Lord, thank you for the truth that we can sing of today. Thank you, God, that praise is rising from this place in Jeffrey. We're turning our eyes to you. We find strength to face the day because of you. Our fears are washed away because of your presence. Hosanna, you are the God who saves us. You are worthy of all of our praises. We thank you, God, for these truths, and we lift up our voices and sing your praises today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.